Hey, what's up, community of Bay? My name is Paul, and welcome back to the COF podcast. I'm actually joined by a new co-host today. Yes, I'm Cherie. Hi, guys. She's apparently Glad to be here. waiting for me to introduce her. Well, I didn't know you were going to introduce me. I feel special. Well, you, Cherie, you are special. Thanks, Paul. And our audience Appreciate you. you. <laughs> and uh, we have some special guests with us today from My Refuge House. We have Heather, who's here, and we also have Roseanne. And uh, we're really excited and thankful that y'all are joining us today. Thank you. So they've been at church with us this past weekend, but there are some people that maybe didn't see our services and are going to kind of want to know what My Refuge House is all about. So maybe give us a little bit of backstory. What is My Refuge House and uh, what, what's happening there? Great. Um, well, My Refuge House is a residential therapeutic home in the Philippines for people who have um, been rescued from sex trafficking. So we have a, a residential campus, a shelter for girls um, who are needing active long-term care. We provide all of the supports. And then over the years, we have also expanded um, and kind of deepened our work to do more family care and prevention work. Wow. So, yeah. And maybe talk to us a little bit about your roles in the organization so that our audience can kind of get to know you as well. Sure, I'll go and then you. Um, so I'm the creative energetic organizer or CEO. Um, nice. That resonates with me. I love it's that. way better than the, um, you know the traditional titling. Love it. Um, and it fits much more with I. So I'm in the United States. I live in California, and I work with our staff um, who are there. And then we have a part time person in the United States who's actually just up in Dallas. Um, I like to say we're small but mighty, and I wear all of the hats that try to kind of connect us all. There together. you go. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And yes, I am the director of program operations. I'm Cebu based. I kind of like um, provide oversight to the day to day operations. But I always tell people that my job is to actually like prov make sure that I, that I provide enough support to the staff so that they can continue doing what they love to do, which is taking care of the girls. So, yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Community of Faith has partnered with you all for Ever. quite yeah. a while. I think before both of our times. Okay, you got, and you guys have been around 15 years. Yeah, yeah my Refuge House that. has just celebrated our 15th anniversary. Okay. Um, I'm, I've been around for eight years and Roseanne for... Going on 13. 13. Yeah. And so how long have has Community of Faith been partnered with you? I, I think at 14. least 14. Okay. Yeah. So like the whole time, basically, That's amazing. yeah. I think they were. You guys were. We were an infant. <laughs> yeah, infant. I'm not even sure we had stage. a full house built. I think sure. you helped us build our first. Well, so Paul and I were talking before we got to meet with you guys, and neither one of us knew the answer to this. And I have been oh. so curious. How does this even start? How does an organization like this come? Mm -hmm. Who breathed this up, dreamed this up, saw the need? I mean, you're here in California in the U.S. Yeah, and like, how does this? How does this get birthed? Yeah, well, only God, right? right, right. I think so. Um, <laughs> there's a small church in Southern California. And by small, I mean 100 people. Right. And they primarily worked, like they had families, but they also had a larger college population. That So they were kind of transient and moving and growing. So they were shifting a lot. Mm -hmm. But they had a social justice Bible study that was happening. And they were reading this book. And in that book, it was talking about how there were girls around the world who were being trafficked. Mm. And... Um, and laws were actually there to protect them, but there was nowhere for them to go, so they weren't being rescued. Okay. Um, and so there was the will to rescue, there was the will to protect, but just not anywhere for them to go. Mm -hmm. And they were just kind of rocked by that. Mm -hmm. And in in that moment, I think 
very, very quickly, they decided that, hey, we've been saving our money for a while. They had, I think, $30,000 saved, which will not get you very far in Southern California to build your own building. Sure, sure. Um, and they, I think, hit the point where why would we build a, a building that we would use as a home for part of the week when we could give that money to build a home that would literally save lives? So they reached out to the organization that read the, wrote the book and they said, we're going to give you this money. That organization said, we actually don't do that, but we'll help you do that. And where we really need you is the Philippines. And what they didn't know is that the pastor and half the congregation all identify as Filipino-American. Really? And so that congregation basically was, well, clearly this is what we're supposed to be doing. That really is a God thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, and and I, when, I mean, my refuge house kind of landed in my lap and I thought I was very special for about two weeks until I realized that we all have this Mm -hmm. story of, of, kind of coming to this place and mm-hmm. and realizing, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. So the Philippines is recognized as a hub for trafficking. a lot of trafficking, mm-hmm. like more so than other yeah. places in the world. Yeah, because we, sp- we speak decent English in the Philippines, so it's easier for foreigners to actually reach out and talk to minors and, mm-hmm. you know, like oh. even like those who are in the poverty threshold because um, we can communicate well. How how do they typically reach out? Is it online? Yeah, online. Okay. Especially during the pandemic where almost all the children or like young adults like have access to internet. Okay. So how do they how do they how do these girls get out of their current situation and then make their way to you? To my refuge house. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are rescued, or I think all of them are rescued by the authorities. Okay. And they refer to a, a social social work, work social yeah. welfare, mm-hmm. child protective services. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to what happens in the United yeah. States, okay. where law enforcement or child protective services learns that there's something going on. Maybe they do some investigation to try to figure out, and then they go in and and remove the child mm-hmm. from harm. Right. Yeah. And then they will go to um, a state shelter or a, a state facility, and then from there, we have relationships with state social workers mm-hmm. who know kind of who tends to thrive on our campus and then okay. they reach out and they get referred to us. Girls enter your program and then what What does their process look like? Is it individualized? Do you kind of have set programming that the girls then go through to, you know, get, and yeah, that, to yeah. get back to a place where they can get out on their own again? Or what, what does that look like? Maybe even start with how. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, like when these girls are, were arrested or like, um, abused or exploited or any types of abuse like you were your voice were taken away from you right. to decide for yourself right so you were shut down to speak up for yourself and so in our program and with MRH what we do is we want to bring back and give back that voice to the mm. child um, so what we do is when they are referred to us by the government we want the girls to be the one to decide if they want to be with MRH or not because you want them to realize that they have their voice, right. um, that it's actually a powerful voice for them to decide for themselves. So we don't accept girls who are not willing to stay with us because we want it to be an informed decision. Okay. Um, and because we believe that restoration and, and healing must be a mutual relationship. And it should be a mutual decision between the worker and also the the the, um, the client. And so, so that's what we do. Um, that's the very beginning of our process. And then once it's once the girl would say like I want to be part of my refuge house, then we we accept her and then we provide like all types of services. Healthcare, yeah. yeah, healthcare, education, um, livelihood, spiritual um, formation, and discipleship. And so 
Yeah. And so there will be some, some of those programs are obviously kind of more uniform, um, but we also work with each girl individually to identify who is the family that we're going to be working with, who, who is, who, who beyond these walls, because the goal is not to keep you here. The mm-hmm. goal is to be able to have you sure. back out there. So how can we help make that a safer place to go to? Um, and then education-wise, they're all over the spectrum. So we have one of the things that makes us kind of unique is that we have an accredited homeschooling program. Wow. Mm-hmm. And our teachers, I, I've been meaning to ask our lead te- like they must be so proud because we, like we currently have seven girls in college. So, oh, wow. and most of them are doing, you know, that, like college, they sometimes hit a moment where they're like, oh, what am I doing? But we're having college graduates now, and I feel like our teachers just must be so proud that they're preparing them. Um, And so we'll start with kind of an assessment, figuring out where are you educationally, how are we, you know, working Mm -hmm. with you tailored in that way. Speaking of what are the ages, what what age are you eligible to come into the Mm -hmm. program, and then what age are you supposed to matriculate out? Technically, we want to accept girls who are eight, um, as young as eight up to like maybe 18. Um, but there are also cases where girls are older than 18. Mm-hmm. Um, just like three months ago, we accepted a, um, a 21 year old, or maybe like she, she's 22 now. No read, no write. So she doesn't know how to read mm-hmm. and write. And so by program, like we don't actually like we're allowed to accept her. But we said like, you know, this girl needs help. Like no one's going to accept her. So we you know developmentally she yeah. still needs mm-hmm. right she was telling the state social workers that the thing the one thing she really wanted to do was learn how to read and write mm-hmm. and they oh, they wow. just couldn't think of another shelter that would maybe be willing and mm-hmm. able to right. do that for an adult sure um and so they reached yeah. out to us and we spent yeah, and probably about, 30 minutes for individual, <laughs> individualization right? like we started like we have girls who are eight or thirteen, but can you know like can read and write. Mm-hmm. But this girl, she doesn't know anything, and so we did with phonics, with alphabet, with numbers, with vowels. It was so difficult, but now she can read. Oh, that's um, amazing! That's, that's and she awesome. can write. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I guess I'm kind of curious. Um, I mean, obviously, you are pulling these girls out of very dangerous situations. Um, like as an organization, how are you viewed in the Philippines? Like, is it is it pretty dangerous? Because, um, I mean, obviously, by pulling these girls out, that's hitting, you know. Aren't they proper? Are they property to someone? Yeah, I guess that's, like, yeah, that's my you, question. Is are there they a in da- danger? They yeah, I guess so I'm not yeah. phrasing it correctly. Sure, but is there no, is I'm, there a danger in what you're, I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of risk there or. Yeah, so I, I think, um. It's very easy to kind of think that that, I mean, and there are certainly like criminal elements at different points in time, but most of our girls, similar to the United States, most of the girls have actually been exploited by someone who's close to them. Um, And so in the way that we are kind of reaching out to their families to work with their families, I think, um, and we do that. I've been really impressed with our team um, with the love and the care that they kind of approach the family in a way that says, look, what you what has happened to the child is completely wrong, and the and the the direct perpetrator is often imprisoned, mm-hmm. um, and so harm's way is not immediate. Um, so the girls are kind of still connected to their families. Yeah, and that's Got a very okay. Filipino that, cultural thing that we have worked really mm-hmm. hard to. Yeah, and I think the misperception about trafficking is that 
it's a syndicated organized crime. And I think that's where my mind immediately went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do understand that. Um, but in the Philippines, where poverty is so rampant, um, most of the, the those who have facilitated these um, crimes are actually people who are very close to them. Mm. Parents, siblings, relatives, friends, even girlfriends or boyfriends, you know. So these are very, like, close to them and so um but we, we we also value the culture of filipino where is whereas um you know that it is more of like really valuing the the role of the family um sure. in, in our culture and so we don't want to be the reason to have that disconnection so instead of like separating them we want them to be connected through reunification and reconciliation as well wow that's incredible and for us that is i mean roseanne does a great job of talking about that being a Christ-like presence, right? Yeah. Like that 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 Christ didn't separate mm-hmm. people, right. and so by being present, and I always say that like accountability, like true accountability and restoration comes from a place of love, where mm-hmm. you you really do see someone bigger and more valuable and more. I mean, we're speak, singing about being worthy this morning, sure. right? Like yeah. that the that everyone has worth and we need to see every person as beloved. And sometimes it's out of that sense of you are beloved and you are not acting in a way that is displaying your belovedness and we can hold you accountable to that. Um, But I think the families often, I mean, it is often with great effort. There was one family that we worked with for several years before they really trusted us. But I think we kind of are persistent with, um, pursuing them from a place of love. Right. So they're obviously, I mean, you said there's education services and obviously they're given a shelter and Mm -hmm. food and all of that, Mm -hmm. but there's a counseling therapeutic part of it as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Mm because there's so much trauma that they've experienced. So we have our own external counselor who goes to the house every like Saturday. Right. So she does individual counseling and also group counseling. Okay. Is there a, is there a spiritual element to it like is there a and how is that is that kind of a roadblock with some of these families is that a difficult thing that hey this is kind of a christian organization and so that is that where some of the barrier comes from Mm -hmm. honestly like we we are a faith-based organization but we want to we want to share the the love of christ through the community and so like the 22 year old i was talking about she's actually a muslim and wow. so we accepted her and you know like we even like i was even the one who said like we can we will find you a quran because we want you to also exercise your own faith and if one day throughout through your exposure to this community you want to be a christian then that's actually a good news right but for now we want to meet her where she's at and if that means like supporting her own faith and later but it is also through our organization that she can find christ in the process and that would be good so we want to embrace everyone and we have even like girls say for example i'm gonna you know like most of the girls did not see a bible before they came to our shelter they did not know who god is like they know there's god but they don't know who jesus christ is and then i met this you know like you know like if 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 you're in this work you tend to be very prideful at some point because you're trying to save and help people and help girls who are hurting and broken and then on my third month with mrh i was so prideful when i was like you know like just being so like I don't feel proud of what you're doing. And then one day I met with Hope, like one of our girls before. Like I was three months old in the job. And she asked me one time that if God is really real. Mm-hmm. And of course, be me being prideful, I said, of course he, he is. Mm-hmm. 
And then he said, so where was he when he when my stepfather was abusing me? Mm-hmm. And I was just so humbled by God and said, like, Rosan, it's not about you. It's actually, like, really letting this girl see Jesus. Maybe, like, during the moment of those abuses, she felt that God wasn't there. But it's also our opportunity to actually, like, show her that God is, real, re- is really real through the community that we provide um, for her. Wow. And I'll say I so I went to some, I got a secular degree, but at a seminary. So yeah. lots of theology and wrapped up into, you know, counseling and all of that. Um, in my first trip to the Philippines, we had a spiritual retreat and one of the 14 year old girls is asking the the pastor who's leading the retreat, like questions that I didn't hear anybody ask until mm-hmm. seminary. Um, and what I love when is when um, when the young woman that. Roseanne was talking about who didn't read or write and, and who's Muslim she, kind of parallel to some of her trafficking is related to her, to the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. And so she, what part of her healing has been trying to figure out what of me was trafficked because of kind of a distorted view of faith or what was tra- like just trying right. to make sense of that. So she wanted to understand what does it really mean to be Muslim? Right. Um, and so she's asking these deep questions about you know, well, what does what does my God think about this? And then so some of our other girls started to say, well, wait, if that's what Muslims think, then what do Christians think? Mm-hmm. And so these like beautiful dialogues around right. faith and like I think it really kind of started to sharpen the faith of some of the other girls mm-hmm. and some right. of our staff. Like it right. makes you dig deep and process it yeah yeah so it's not the superficial thing you mark was saying today you know go down to the to the bottom floor on the elevator and see what's underneath and i feel like that really has has and if if you've if you've never been to our shelter yet and so we have a very tall wall so tall and so some at the very beginning of our work the girls felt that they were in prison Mm. because of that and so we tried our very best to actually make it more make them feel more human you know Mm -hmm. and children and so every sunday we allow the girls to go to church and attend actual service and be with the community of god um and then they will join the praise and worship team we also have our own praise and worship team inside the shelter we have daily devotions every morning and we also like um, partner with a church that goes to the shelter and disciple the girls every Wednesday afternoon. So and they're like really, really reading the Bible and understanding the salvation and the meaning of the cross. So well, and kind of I love that too because the the pastor that is doing this, there are actually a few other like churches of the same church around Cebu. So that right. when the girl, the idea again being like, what will life beyond our walls? We don't want your faith to just be nurtured here. We yeah. want you to know that. There's something more that you can do out there. Mm -hmm. Let me ask this. So, you know, there may be people that are listening that are saying, you know, hey, I I have a heart to do something in missions. And um, maybe even what, you know, rescuing girls, maybe that's resonating with them. I'm just curious from your all's standpoint, what was the deciding factor that says, man, this is something that God's called me to. I want to give my life to helping these girls and being a part you know, of this organization, because that's a, to me, that's a huge leap of faith, just like whether it's pastoring or something else, Mm -hmm. because I can't imagine the heaviness that comes along with working with these girls. I would assume there is an attachment that even you all get Mm -hmm. with them. And so to me, that has to be calling because when Mm -hmm. it gets tough, I assume you can't just say, oh, I'm done for a while and I'll come back when I feel like it. And so I'm just curious from your all's personal story 
what was that that decision that says, man, this is what God's called me to do? And then how were you able to take that step of faith to say, hey, I'm going to jump in? Yeah. Can answer that? Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my personal story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like, um, you know, sometimes the very beginning I said, like, I'm going to join the, my refuge house because I want to save the girls. I'm going to help save the girls. But I ended up actually saving myself in the mm-hmm. process. Wow. Um, so th- whenever I f- whenever this job is very emotionally investing, like, you give you pour your heart out into mm-hmm. it like it's no easy job like i know i have no money to actually do something for the work but i know i have the heart to actually do it and so i said i'm gonna use that heart i'm a, I'm a social worker by profession and so i said i'm gonna use my talent and my gift for to, to help these girls um and then whenever i feel so tired because of this work i always go back to that three-month-old rose and at mrh where you know like i need I, I have the obligation to f- make these children like feel that God is real. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's 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 no easy. I'm not gonna you know like it is n- not everyone's um, calling. But as a Christian woman, I always remind myself that love is an action word, right. and love works through faith. I like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and the <laughs> that's okay. And the work of trafficking is such a massive, massive mission um, to do, and just. And my refuge house is not the only ministry who's doing it. Um, but for me, in just small steps, we know we're doing an impact. And and so for me, like if I'm given, I am I'm given the platform to actually, you know, like use my faith by showing that love. And even if sometimes I doubt if we're gonna like address trafficking, but I know that if I share my love and I also like share my faith through the work I do, then it is something that we can tell the world that everything is possible yeah. and um you know like i was talking this morning and i said that we usually see trauma and abuse as messy and mm. and very complex work but sometimes these girls would tell us that their mess can be a message as well to people and wow. that message would be that they are so much more capable of doing more that there's so much there are so much potentials in their stories and these girls came to us broken and hurt and and in pain because sometimes they are so overwhelmed with their stories of abuse and it is our duty to remind them that you know your story is so much bigger than your abuse and your god is so much bigger than your trauma right Mm. um so for me like that's the reason why i feel like instead of me hoping to save the girls i also ended up being saved in the process because it reminded me of my faith it reminded me of what my calling is and it's just about calling it's really like having that intention to be with the people just like what jesus did when she came, when he came um into the world and saved because he was a normal human being and all of us like we are all normal and i know that being normal doesn't limit us from doing more and right. yeah i think that's my that's my personal impact it's powerful yeah that's why I wanted her to go first. <laughs> Although maybe I should have gone first. Right. Her follow. Um, I, I, I was born with a deep well of hope. Um, and I think I, the most frustrated I can ever get is if somebody feels sorry for our girls. <laughs> um, because I'm like, they're the most powerful people. Like mm. they've made it through something and still have hope to do something else. And so don't feel sorry for them. Um, provide them a platform to do what, what they can do. And I think um, in the United States, uh, 
my coworker Kim and I talk a lot about how our work in the U.S. parallels our work with the girls um, and that when we're meeting with supporters and donors and partners in the United States, we want to meet people where they are and we want to help them to see that they're gifting um, and what they can do and how they can show up is so much more than what they think. Yeah. Um, and that and that that's attached to something bigger into a community. Um, and and through that, they can kind of find who they are. And My Refuge House might not be their thing, but we know there's something that's their thing. And so if by listening to us speak passionately about it, then it'll spark. Because there's, there's plenty in the world that needs attention, sure. right? Um, and so I think f- for me, when I became a therapist, it really was this idea of, I'm, I'm always scanning the margins, like who's not involved in this conversation, who needs to be here, what voices, what information do we not have yeah. that we can bring in and build with that. Um, and for me, I've always had just kind of a heart for kids mm-hmm. um, and for for women. Um, and so it, what it's mine is not necessarily a, a trafficking specific, but it's more of like a women and, and girls and kind of a more kind of global specific mm-hmm. if you can no that's great that, yeah nice. i was so? curious yeah. how many girls you house or you you take in like at any given time and then how do you know when it's t- when the, the success has occurred like it's there it's time for them to move off of yeah. the yeah it's time. what do we call it we don't call it a campus the shelter, shelter. Mm-hmm. They, it's time for them to move on like they're now strong and ready to go mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of that yeah the way we do it is we try to be as comprehensive as possible but when we're sending girls home we have four areas that we need to measure one is family readiness um their um you know their their therapy um, their legal cases, and also their education. So those are four major um, areas we, we measure. Um, but when it comes to success, um, it's a pretty tricky question mm-hmm. because we we see the girls individually and sure. they, are, they have their individual um, capacity. Mm-hmm. So when we seek success um, among these girls, we want to see them um, in a much how do you call it, one individualized manner. So for example, we have girls who went to college. They're the very first college graduate in their generation, and that's very impactful. Um, became a social worker and now doing a professional work. Um, but we also have girls who got pregnant at 16. Okay. Um, and others may see it as something unsuccessful in the work we do, but as, as people who know them better and knowing how they were raised and how they were abused when they were a child. And now here they are at 16, being a teenage mom and being and be and becoming a responsible right. um, um, mother. That's also a success on our on our um, on our like in our view. So so yeah. But we don't just send girls home. We have family workers. We have community workers who are doing the work from the ground and making sure that we're sending the girls home in a much better and healthier place. So there's family. sort of a transitional yeah. plan mm-hmm. as you leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I would say just as much as when they come, it's a choice. Mm-hmm. When they leave is also, they are part of that choice. Okay. And mm-hmm. we are making, des- and from, from day one, we have an eye toward what needs to happen in order for you to move beyond here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one of the stories that I've, been sharing um is we had this this young woman who moved on campus and when I first met her she was pretty new and I happened like my timing of a visit happened to kind of coincide with her just arriving and she did not speak her her voice 
was she was always just very quiet you know like she um all of our girls pick a pseudonym so that's kind of a naming that they do and and she had not done that and it took her forever to choose her name and she just was passive um and when I was there this past March she was like vibrant and chatty and charming and I was like oh like just the transformation is remarkable and then she so one of the things that we haven't really talked about is that we've extended some of our supports to uplift families so that the girls are not the only one like we're kind of creating some culture of education at home so siblings are getting scholarships and so this young woman two of her brothers are on scholarship with us um and so she went home and in a very short period of time her mother's boyfriend solicited her. Mm. And it, like that's devastating. And of course we don't want that to happen. That is the opposite of anything that we want. Um, but she, this girl who had once lost her voice, said, uh-uh, like you will back up and you will not right. do this. And she found her voice. And unfortunately her mother did not believe her but her brother believed her and they went to the authorities and so that for me is like i it's a terribly messy situation it is not empowering but i don't worry about her because she found her voice and she found her allies and she figured out how to like she didn't just stop at one like she was persistent and that for me gives me so much more hope for her over the next 10 15 years than absolutely anything else Wow, that's amazing. Well, I want to honor you all's time because I know that uh, you got to get out here. And I am so grateful and thankful that you spent some time Mm -hmm. talking to us. But I'm sure that some of the conversation we've had today, people are going to have more questions. Yeah. They want to keep up with what y'all are doing and everything that's happening at my refuge house. Can you just give uh, people maybe, uh, whether it's social media or website, how can people find out more about what you're doing, how they can get involved and just, um, you know, see the life change that's taking place at my refuge house? Great. And thank you, Community of Faith. You are definitely part of our family. Um, And our website is myrefugehouse.org. Any social media is My Refuge House. And, um, well, our YouTube channel is My Refuge House Videos, I think. Um, But if you send a message, it's me. So don't be (laughs) thinking that you're, like, reaching out to some unknown person. (laughs) It's me. And if the question is for Roseanne, I will forward that right along to her. Um, and we're usually pretty good. We love comments and it keeps us going. And our, our staff really do follow our, our alumni follow and they, they, they see the comments, they see the encouragement and and it's, it's impactful. Awesome. That's great. Well, y'all are in our prayers. And again, thank you so much for joining us for this time. And thank you all for listening and joining us on the COF podcast. Keep uh, keep it right here. Make sure you're liking and subscribing. We're going to be interviewing more of our missions partners as we enter into best gift season. Uh, so we appreciate you. We love you, church. And thank you, ladies, again. Thank, thank you. you.